Today, I want to uh, welcome in uh, bringing the word uh, our brother Justin Cook. Will you welcome him as he comes? All right, thank you. It's an honor to get to speak with you today. And a few weeks ago, Chris shared and he joked that he was the four string quarterback. So I thought today I would come and I'd actually dress like a quarterback. And uh, no, it's not my cheat sheet, but you'll, you'll find out what it is later. Um, so to start off, I'd like to start with a brief little exercise. And I want you to imagine that you know that you're going to be stranded on a desert island. And you can only take one thing with you. But you're going to be there for several years anyways. No radios or anything to call for help. No cheating, but think, what's the one thing that you're going to do? Any great volunteers want to share what they're doing? I drink that. Thanks for companionship, Daniel. Nice, all right. Eric? Duct tape. Duct tape is valuable in any situation. Now, if you're like me, you probably at least thought, Maybe I should bring a Bible. <laughs> like, I know that's, that's the church answer, right? That I should probably have a Bible, but a uh, water purifier or fire starter seems a lot more practical in that situation. And you know, this happens in our daily lives as well. We know the verses. We know we should be like the psalmist and say, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always feel that way. And our actions reveal that we don't always feel that way as well. So my goal in this sermon is to stir our devotion uh, to the Word of God, that we would treasure it for its goodness, its trustworthiness, its righteousness, and its value in our lives, and we'd be motivated to seek God's will through His Word. So with that goal in mind, uh, if you could please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today to worship you and to learn about you through your Word. We ask that you to reveal yourself to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to see what you would have us see, and give us ears to hear what you would have us hear, and remove any obstacle that would prevent us from seeing your goodness in your word and submitting to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as most of you know, I'm a teacher, and one of the first things you learn in becoming a teacher is you should share your objective or the purpose of your lesson with your class. So with that in mind, I'm going to share, this is where we're going today, is that my goal is that we would understand that God has spoken and continues to speak through the Bible in a way that is clear, necessary, sufficient, and authoritative. So before we get there, I just want to lay a little groundwork. And another lesson I learned in teaching is it's better to focus on less things for quality than a lot of things with less quality. So I'm going to skip through a couple things um, here in this beginning part. But one thing I want to highlight, I think, you know, this is a question we take for granted sometimes in the churches. Like, what actually is the Bible? How did we get the Bible? And so the Bible is actually 66 books written by approximately 40 people over 1,500 years. And some of those books, like Luke and Acts, were actually originally written as one book and then separated. But you often hear, you'll hear people who question the authority or the reliability of the Bible point out the fact that there's many different human authors. So this, this is just 
the invention of man. This is just coming from the thoughts of men. And the thing I want to highlight before we get into the message is the historic teaching of the church, and here's where I'm going to focus on quality over quantity, is that the Bible is God-breathed. It comes from God. And we're going to talk about some of these uses of it. But it is God-breathed and has the purpose of equipping us for good work. Now, being God-breathed doesn't mean that it was auditorily uh, spoken to the people who wrote the Bible. In some cases, it was. People did hear the Word of God. But when Paul's writing his letters, he's not hearing God speaking to him. But God is working through Paul, speaking through Paul, inspiring writers with different personalities and different time periods, with different cultures, um, to write exactly what he wanted to write. And Peter clarifies this when he says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried by the Holy Spirit. So this is what we mean. When we say it's God-breathed, is that God inspired, through the Holy Spirit, inspired human authors to use their gifts, their talents, their abilities, their personalities to write what he wanted them to write. And so... So those who know me, you know, I love apologetics. I could do a whole sermon on why you should believe this, why it's reasonable to believe that Scripture is God-breathed. We could focus on prophecy. We could focus on unity found within Scripture. There's lots of ways we could go, but I want to focus on just one way, one reason, which I think is the most important, and that's how Jesus reads Scripture. Jesus had a very high view of Scripture. And this is just one thing he taught. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Mm -hmm. When Jesus taught, he often said, It is written. Or, Have you not read? He spoke about miraculous events, like Jonah in the fish as though they were historical events that actually happened. Yeah. Jesus believed that Scripture, in this case, the whole, the whole Old Testament Scripture, which is what he meant by the Law and Prophets, he's referring to all of Old Testament Scripture, was the unbreakable, inerrant, truthful Word of God. Right. So, it's important to know that. And if, if, if you have questions about where did we get the Bible, why, why are some books in the Bible and others not? Why are some Gospels included and others not? These are good questions that we should ask and we should work out together because it's going to affect how we respond to the next part of the sermon, which gets to our goal, to understand that God has spoken and continues to speak. The Bible is living and active. God continues to speak through it in ways that are clear, necessary, sufficient, and authoritative. And I kind of structured this message based on a book that we have in the past had on the book table called Taking God at His Word, which was written by Kevin DeYoung, which a little shout out. He was actually my college pastor, so I actually know Kevin personally, and he is a very smart guy who loves the Lord and loves the Word of God. Um, So the first thing is that Scripture is clear. And what we mean by clear is it's understandable. Ben often says, what is the plain, simple truth of Scripture? Now, this doesn't mean that there aren't things in Scripture that are hard to understand. In fact, Peter, referring to Paul's letters, calls them hard to understand. There are theological things we disagree on about the nature of salvation. Infant baptism versus believer baptism. We could go on and on. There are things that are not as clear as we would like. 
But the main points of Scripture, who God is, what we need to do to be saved, and what He desires from us are clear in plain and simple truths. And if we only follow just the plain and simple truths of Scripture, I think we see a lot of benefit in our life and in the world. Yeah, amen. So, as the people of Israel were getting ready to enter the Promised Land, Moses reminded them of the covenant they made with God to follow His commands. And this is what he told them. He says, Now, what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get to it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you may obey it. And the point here was clear. Now we know the Israelites would not keep their covenant with God, but it was not because the commands were unclear. It was because their hearts were hard and because they preferred their sin and idolatry. And the same can be true for us. In many ways, what God wants from us is clear. And the good news also is who God is is also clear. And that's one of the reasons for this. The reasons that we know the purpose of understanding that Scripture is clear is that we should know God. And I think, I think this uh, quote is really important about why, why is it even important? Why is this idea that Scripture is clear important? And this is a quote from the book. It says, The high-sounding debates about perspicuity, a fancy word for clarity of Scripture, and hermeneutics, which means that interpretation of Scripture really has to do with the character of God. Is God wise enough to make himself known? Is he good enough to make himself accessible? Is he gracious enough to communicate in ways that are understandable to the meek and lowly? Now, of course, we will never fully understand the mind of God. We will never understand fully all of his ways. However, he has revealed graciously who he is and what he desires for us. And this is the purpose. This is the purpose of the clarity of the word of God, is that we might know God. Right. Jeremiah made a beautiful promise to the people in exile in Babylon. After they had broken the covenant of God, they had rebelled against him, he made this promise. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their hearts and write it, or in their minds, and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. How would they know the Lord? They would know the Lord when His law, which is referring to the Scriptures, to His commands in Scripture, is written on their minds and on their hearts. And that's the same for us. When we devote ourselves to Scripture, it's not just some academic exercise of accumulating knowledge. The purpose, the reason we devote ourselves to it is because we want to know God. And He has clearly revealed that He is faithful, He is just, He is merciful, He is kind. He does have wrath for evil. He will punish the wicked. These are things that we can know about God through His Word, and it's clear. And the other thing is it also clearly reveals who we are. And so, part of reading Scripture is to bring a sense of conviction. Not the only reason, but part of it. And this is not in a self-condemning way, because we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when we read the Word, when I read the Word, I see many ways in which I fall short, in which I'm not patient, I'm not kind, I'm not trusting God. And what it reveals to me is I 
need a savior. Yeah. And that's part of the purpose of scripture. I not only need a savior, I need a shepherd, as Rebecca talked. Someone to care for me, to guide me, to cleanse me, to protect me. And when I realize who I am and that as that my ideas and myself <laughs> are not always that great, it leads me to the Savior and the Shepherd. And that's the purpose of the clarity of Scripture. Which ties into our next part, is we need, once we understand who we are and know who God is, it leads us to how we can be saved. What do we need? What do we need more than anything is to know Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, to be cleansed and forgiven by Jesus. <laughs> and um, I think it's important just to explain a couple of theological terms here of general revelation versus special revelation. The scripture clearly teaches that God has revealed himself through creation in a way that everybody should know that there is a God who is powerful and wise. And this is what Paul explains in Romans. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So this is basically the intro of Paul's argument that every single person, whether they are Greek or Jew or living in some remote tribe who has never heard the name of Jesus, should at very minimum know that there is a God who is powerful and wise and they should seek him. Mm -hmm. But that is not enough. That's general revelation. We also need special revelation. And special revelation is how God has miraculously revealed who he is, his plan of salvation, through the prophets, through his son, Jesus Christ. And this has been recorded in the scripture. We would not know that we need to come to Jesus unless we were told. And yes, God works in miraculous ways in appearing to people in dreams and visions in remote places or in closed uh, countries like in the Muslim world. This happens. But the primary way that people know about the gospel is through the Bible, through the message that has been recorded in the scriptures and then preached and shared and taught. And so this is also from Romans. After Paul lays out the gospel and what we need to do to be saved, he says, then how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? We can't call on Jesus unless we believe in him. How can we believe in him if we haven't heard of him? How can we hear of him unless somebody preaches? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And how can they preach unless the message has been preserved in the scriptures? And so this is the purpose, the purpose of scripture. It is necessary to lead us to salvation, to recognize our sin, that we've fallen short of the glory of God, that the wages of that sin is death. But the glorious good news that Jesus paid that price for us on the cross and is a free gift for anybody who comes to him in faith and repentance. We need the revelation of God to know God. And the only sure, saving, final, perfect revelation is found in Scripture. Paul communicates this to Timothy. He encourages him, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Scriptures, 
What are the scriptures able to do? They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Mm. This is the purpose of the scripture is necessary to lead to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And yes, God can work in many ways. He can appear to somebody in a dream and draw them to saving faith in Christ. That happens and can happen. But the primary way in which the message of salvation, the gospel message, has been preserved and communicated is through the scriptures. Right. This is why the Gospels were written. The reason that John wrote his Gospel is recorded at the end. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose of the Gospels. It is the purpose of really the whole Bible, which points and leads up to this moment, and it's the purpose of the, all the letters and instructions that follow afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay, so scripture is clear so that we may know God. It is necessary that we may know how to be saved, but it is also sufficient. It is enough for us to live lives that are pleasing and holy unto God. Mm-hmm. After saying that the scripture is God-breathed, Paul explains the purpose of this. He says, because it's God-breathed, it's useful for teaching, teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work. Now, we know that we are not saved by good works. Yet, after we have salvation, there should be a response, there should be a change, there should be a process of sanctification where we become more and more like God, mm-hmm. and when we serve Him out of a response to His grace. Mm-hmm. But how shall we live? How shall we know how to live? Scripture tells us. Now, of course, we live in a modern world where there's there's issues and there's things that come up. And there's situations that maybe Scripture doesn't address as clearly as we'd like. And I think this quote is really helpful in addressing that. It says, To affirm the sufficiency of Scripture is not to suggest that the Bible tells us everything we want to know about everything. But it does tell us everything we need to know about what matters most. Namely, who God is, what we must do to be saved, and how we should live. Scripture does not give exhaustive information on every subject, but on every subject on which it touches, it only says what is true. So, Scripture is enough for us to live Godly, holy lives that are pleasing to Him. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of recognizing that God's Word is enough, is sufficient, is one, guidance and direction. God's Word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light for our path. Our, our children memorize this this year. What is the purpose? When we have a situation where we do not know what to do, we should look to Scripture for direction, for guidance. And even in those situations where I maybe have a question that doesn't answer directly, there are still biblical principles and wisdom that we can apply. In fact, there's a whole book called Proverbs written to give us wisdom in how we can apply biblical principles to our lives. Mm-hmm. And again, why is the purpose? The purpose of the scripture being God reads is to teach us. Teach us about who God is, how we should live, to rebuke and correct us. Just like the good shepherd does to get us off of that path that we've been trotting, right? That is the wrong path that gets worn down and puts us in danger. And to bring us back into alignment with his will. And to train us in righteousness. That we may live in right standing with God and with others. Another purpose is that we may live holy lives. And this, you know, I think the word holy, like, can have a bit of baggage to it. Like, 
we don't want to be holier than thou. We don't want to, you know, seem like, oh, I think, I think I'm better than everybody else, right? We kind of have that, you know, that, that Ned Flanders uh, impersonation in our mind or whatever. We don't, want, we don't want to be Ned Flanders. But the reality is we are called to live differently. We are called to shine as light. We are called to be salt and light. And we are called to be holy, not so that we earn our salvation, not so that we can boast and feel proudful about ourselves, but because God is holy. And that's what Peter says. He says, don't live as you used to in ignorance before you knew the scriptures, before you knew the word of God, before you knew the gospel, but live holy now, holy and set apart for God, because he is holy. God is holy. And so scripture is enough for us to please God, to live ways that are pleasing God. Not perfectly, right? We always go back to him to, to search us, to prune us, to make us more into his image. But we are able to live lives that are fruitful, productive, and holy unto him. All right. So scripture is clear so that we may know God. It is necessary to know how we may be saved. It is sufficient to help us to live holy, pleasing lives unto him. And it should be our final authority. Now, a few weeks ago, Chris talked about our King Jesus and how he is our ultimate authority. And I think he had a really insightful comment that our culture is very biased against authority. America and the West highly values individuality, expressive individuality and being true to yourself. In fact, right now in the West, appealing to authority and external sources of authority like religion or the Bible are considered to be oppressive and hateful. So to take a little bit of edge off of authority, I want to share a little story. And I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And this is from uh, Prince Caspian. And this is your pop culture reference uh, for the, the sermon because I'm not quite as cool as some uh, preachers. But for those who aren't familiar with the story, uh, the Pevensey children have been summoned back to Narnia to help Prince Caspian in his fight against the evil King Miraz, who is his uncle. And after they've been summoned, they kind of lose their way because Lucy had seen Aslan and knew that she needed to follow him, but the others didn't want to. So they went the wrong way, they almost got killed, they got lost, and that night, Aslan appears to Lucy, and this is what happens. Lucy, he said, we must not lie here for long. You have work at hand, and much time has been lost today. Yes, wasn't it a shame, said Lucy? I saw you all right. They wouldn't believe me. There are also... Then somewhere from deep inside Aslan's body, there came the suggestion of a growl. I'm sorry, said Lucy. You mean it was? How could I couldn't have left the others and come along to come to you alone? How could I? Oh, don't look at me like that. Oh well, I suppose I could. Yes, I wouldn't have been alone. You would have been with me. But what would have been the good? Aslan said nothing. You mean, said Lucy rather faintly, that it would have turned out all right somehow? But how? Please, Aslan, am I not to know? To know what would have happened, child, said Aslan. No, nobody has ever told that. Oh, dear, said Lucy. But anyone can find out what will happen, said Aslan. If you go back to the others now and wake them up and tell them that you have seen me again and that you all must follow me at once, what will happen? There's only one way to find out. Do you mean that's what you want me to do, gasped Lucy? Yes, little one, said Aslan. 
Will the others see you too? asked Lucy. Certainly not at first, said Aslan. Later on, it depends. But they won't believe me, said Lucy. It doesn't matter, said Aslan. So in that moment, Lucy had to decide who would have the place of final authority in her decision. Would it be her feelings and her fears? Or would it, would it be the words and thoughts of her siblings? Or would it be Aslan's word? And this is what it means to give authority to God in our lives, to give authority to Jesus and give authority to the word. It means this has the final say. And even if it means leaving others, even if it means others will reject me, if others will think I'm hateful and bigoted, if others will not understand why I'm doing this, even people within the church, I will follow Jesus and I will follow what he says, even in some cases unto death. And I think when it comes to authority, one thing we have to recognize is you cannot get away from giving authority to something. Mm -hmm. We all give authority. In any decision we make, something has the final say. Whether it's our personal preferences, our desires, culture, peer pressure, our work expectations, cultural expectations, uh, other religious traditions, something has the final say. Now today I chose to wear this and I had the final say. And that was fine. There's a lot of areas in freedom where God gives us the final say. But there's other areas where we have to say, I will follow you no matter what in this. And I will follow the good shepherd because he knows what is good for me. And I trust his commands. He knows the poisonous plants. He knows the trade areas where we're going to get turned upside down. I'm going to have authority to God. Authority to what he's communicated in his word. And so the reason we can do this is because the word of God does not come from human minds. It's not human word, but it is the word of God. And this is what Paul teaches. We thank God continually when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, because you accepted it not as human word, but as what it actually is, the word of God. And is it deed and work at work in those who believe. And in Isaiah, it says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So, when we recognize that Scripture is authoritative, that it has the final say, the impact on us is it has the last say, the last words in our decisions, in our theological beliefs, in our moral beliefs. And so, the people of Israel, before they entered the Promised Land, this is what Joshua told them. He said, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Paul encouraged believers, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the, or transformed rather, by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This transforming of the mind does not just come from soul meditation. It comes from meditating on God's word through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, but through his word. And it tells us that we will be able to make right decisions. We'll be able to test and discern God's will, to discern lies from truth. I want to share a little story about yielding to the authority of God's word. So, any teachers in here know that the first year is really rough. <laughs> and they show you this graph to warn you. They're like, you're going to be really excited, 
and then you're going to crash. And you're going to have several months of what's called the disillusionment phase. And I can assure you, I was in there the first day I thought I was going to be Michelle Pfeiffer and I was going to turn lights around. And let me tell you, that did not happen my first year. And I, for several months, could not sleep. I woke up every couple hours. I completed, my face completely broke out. I was teaching 15 and 16 year olds and I was the one with the most acne. <laughs> and it was really bad. And so I had decided in January, I am quitting at the end of the year. I'm not gonna quit in the middle of the year because that's really, really rough on students. So I'm gonna quit at the end of the year, even though I had made a two year commitment to Teach for America that I would teach two years and they invested thousands of dollars in my recruitment, my training, um, my support. But I had made the decision and I was basically set. But I was open to praying about it. <laughs> and this is what God spoke to me. I read this just a few days after and it rocked my world. It said, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live in your holy mountain? The one who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their minds. I had made an oath. It was going to hurt to keep that oath. But I had to. I read that there was no choice. And so I changed my mind and I decided I would follow God, I would, I would live it through. The second year was better than the first. It was still hard. But the thing is, shortly after I made this decision, and I don't believe it's, you know, everything's tied quite so short like I do this, this will happen. But shortly after making that decision, I did ask Rebecca on our first date. And as they say, the rest is history. So I do believe that following God, yielding to God's word as authority in our lives will benefit us. Yeah. Okay, so this is a bit of a long quote, but I think it's really, really good about the authority of God's word, and it comes from a book called The Bible's Authority, and it says, God is by nature the supreme authority in the universe, governing the lives of all his creatures. When he speaks, creatures must obey or bear the consequences of disobedience. The Bible is his word, and therefore human beings must obey all aspects of it in every area of their lives. This is not to say that the content of Scripture measures up to human standards of what is right or wrong, true and false. Rather, Scripture is itself the very standard, the ultimate criterion of what is right and true. So however difficult it may be in a social environment, the Christian must be bold to obey the Bible, not only in church, but in the workplace, in intellectual life, in science, philosophy, law, politics, the arts, culture, commerce, and entertainment. Believers must, of course, respect the fact that Scripture focuses on redemption rather than general culture, mm -hmm. but that redemption itself is cosmic, the removal of the fall's curse from all creation and the reconciliation of all things to God. Right. Right. The Bible's authority extends over all areas of human life. Mm -hmm. So, we see that the Bible is clear that we may know God. It is necessary to know what we must do to be saved. It is sufficient or enough that we may live lives pleasing unto the Lord, and it should have the final authority in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. But what should we do? So what should we do in response? Of course, we don't want to just have an intellectual message, but we want to actually take response. And I think the first thing I would love to spend a little more time at the end kind of unpacking, where did we get the Bible? Why these 66 books? Why these four Gospels and not the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Philip or the Gospel of Mary Magdalene? These questions are things that they are, are questions you have. We should not put them under the rug, but we should ask them and learn together. And there's lots of good resources, um, books, 
lectures and people in this church that can, we can walk these out together. The second thing is we should actually praise the Lord that he would increase our desire for the Word. I will be honest with you. There are mornings I do not want to read the Bible. I'd rather sleep 30 minutes more. Okay? That is a natural human experience. But we can pray, Lord, give me a desire for your Word. I want to delight in your decrees. Like, we can actually pray that he would give us a delight, that we would see beauty not just in um, our favorite, you know, verses, but even in Leviticus, even in these parts that are hard to understand. Because there's beautiful parts in Leviticus that, that foreshadow Jesus and are really super cool. Um, can't get into that now. But so pray that he would increase our delight, our delight that we would actually love his word. The other is to commit to reading his word, to devote ourselves um, and reading plans can be helpful here. Now, I know for some people, reading plans can, can bring guilt because we fall behind. And that's certainly not the purpose. The purpose is to give us a structure that's helpful. And find one that's helpful for you. I like a reading plan that's scheduled for five days a week. That way, if I miss two, I'm not behind. If it's your first time, don't focus on something too big. Maybe do, again, the New Testament in a year like we did a couple years ago. You can do the Bible over two years, okay? But having a plan is helpful and helps us to be devoted, not to earn salvation, not to be smarter than everybody else. But working out our salvation does take devotion and work. Yeah. And so devoting to a reading plan can help. Okay? Another thing is to sing the word. These are just, so singing the word, there's actually songs where we can sing and the lyrics are scripture. And one of them I love is the Sing the Bible series from Slugs and Bucks by Randall Goodgame. And even though they are technically kids' songs, it's really, he's a very talented musician and I actually really like the songs. And also uh, Shane and Shane have a couple albums, Songs and Songs too, where they are singing the songs and singing the word of God. And next is to memorize the Word of God. And so um, this just talks, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it just talks about how the Israelites were commanded to write the Scripture on their doors, to write them on their doorposts, on their foreheads, on their hands. And this is what this is for. <laughs> so uh, several years ago, I taught out in the county, or out in Harford County, and I had a bit of a commute. And I got in the habit of just every morning writing out a verse um, and memorizing it. And uh, I was able to memorize a lot of scripture, whole books of the Bible that way. But then I came back to teaching in the city and I was riding my bike. So I couldn't do that anymore. And literally a decade went by and I thought, you know what? I'm going to get an armband and I'm going to put scripture in an armband. And when I ride my bike, when I come to a stop, I'm just going to glance at it and read it and I'm going to memorize. So I've gotten back into that. And this is something we can do. Memorizing scripture shouldn't be oh, another thing for me to do. Put, some, put a verse up where you wash the dishes. Right. Put a verse in the mirror where you brush your teeth. We can build it in. We can absolutely build this in without any extra time. And what's the purpose? Again, not so that I can win a Bible trivia quiz. The purpose, a couple of things. One, when I'm in a moment of need, I have the Bible. I have it right with me in my mind. And it also transforms us when it's in our minds, like Jeremiah said. The second purpose is we can actually pray. When you're praying for somebody, you can pray the promises of God in the scripture because it is with you and you have it with you. So that's just a couple of reasons to memorize the word.
And then the final is to share the word. Um, so by sharing the word, I'm talking not just about sharing the gospel, which we definitely should do, but actually sharing the actual word, the scripture, with people who don't have it. We are so fortunate. I probably have at least 10 Bibles, but there are parts of the world where there are believers in Jesus Christ who've heard the gospel message but do not have the Bible. Yeah. And this could be because of poverty. This could be because they're in a country where the Bible is heavily restricted. And there's ministries where you can, for a very low fee, support the Bible being distributed. This is just one organization I like called Asia Harvest. But for only $3, you can support the Bible being printed and then distributed to churches in an Asian country where the gospel is moving forth. Um, and so I can't think of a better investment in the kingdom of God than investing in his word for others. Because we know in Isaiah it tells us God will accomplish through his word what he desires. And there are stories of huge revival starting out in China just because one person got a Bible. And it sparked them and then it spread to their village and it spread to their province. And so um, we can invest in the kingdom of God in this way. So just allow me to shortly end in prayer and then pass it back to them. Father, we thank you so much for your word that it is clear that we may know you, that you have graciously revealed yourself to us. Father, we thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ that is by grace through faith and that you have shown us that when we call on you, we will be saved. Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone, but you have given us your word to guide us, protect us, and sanctify us and make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, and we thank you that we can rely on you and your authority in our lives, that you ultimately have what is good for us, what is best for us, because you are a gracious and loving Father. Father, we pray that you would stir our devotion, our commitment to reading your word, to learning your word, to memorizing your word, to sharing your word, all for the glory of your name and your son Jesus. Amen. Amen.